Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Thanks again for coming to RUF tonight. And uh, do you know that it's the first day of fall? Today at three o'clock, in fact, was when fall started. So fall has only been going on now for like four hours or so. And uh, we get to start fall off together at RUF. So uh, glad you're here. RUF is a Christian community on campus. Uh, It's a place where we can... Uh, grow in our faith. It's a place where if we don't know what we believe, we can ask questions and explore what the Bible says. And uh, it's a place where uh, all are welcome to come. And it's a place where we can uh, represent Christ on this campus as a community. So we can, uh, as we grow in our knowledge of him and our love for him uh, through our worship, through our time in the word, the hope is that collectively we can extend God's love Uh, his grace to the campus. And so that's kind of why we look at the word each week. Uh, We look at the Bible because we believe that's how you get formed into someone who is like Jesus. That's how uh, you come to be transformed uh, by the gospel. And we're doing this series this uh, semester where we go through different parables that Jesus taught on, uh, that he explained uh, to people that he taught. And uh, tonight, Uh, We come to perhaps the most famous one, uh, the parable of the prodigal son. And uh, we're going to look at it in two parts, actually, because there's two sons. And the often neglected second older brother uh, we're going to look at next week. But today we're going to focus mainly on the first uh, son and the more well-known one. And uh, so I'll I'll go ahead and read it for us and uh, spend some time looking at it. And just to set the context... I'm going to read the first couple of verses of the chapter to let us know where Jesus is when he's teaching. So uh, Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. So skipping ahead to verse 11. Uh, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my sh- the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country and there squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, he, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we come now to your word, would you guide us? Uh, Would you send your spirit to apply the word to our hearts? Uh, Would you meet us where we are tonight and change us? Uh, Use your word to comfort us, challenge us, direct us, uh, make us more like you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When I was a kid, uh, I got a my family got a dog when I think I was like six or seven years old. And uh, at, at the same, around the same time, uh, f- our family friends, a, good, a family that we were really good friends with, they got a new dog too. And so uh, it was really fun because me and my best friend, we both got new dogs. And we, uh, the dogs, we took the dogs to puppy training together and they both failed. <laughs> and the other dog, my friend's dog, was named Hobie. And Hobie, it was like a rescue dog where like you get the dog from a rescue place. You don't know what kind it is. You don't know exactly what you're getting yourself into. And Hobie started to grow. So Hobie first strike, he failed puppy school, obedience school. Then he got really big, like insanely big. I was terrified of this dog, Hobie. And they come to find out that like this is like ha- part, at least part Great Dane part German shepherd. This thing is like a beast. Hobie, and yet they love Hobie. Hobie is their dog. They adopted Hobie. And uh, Hobie then starts doing things like scaring away children. It's a family with young children still. Uh, Next strike was that at Thanksgiving, Hobie ate their whole Thanksgiving turkey, like knocking it off the counter and devouring Thanksgiving dinner. And the final straw was that uh, Hobie knocked over their elderly grandmother one time and hurt her pretty bad. And so they had, to, they had to make the difficult decision that though they loved Hobie, they had to give Hobie away. And I want you to think about Hobie. Um, they loved Hobie, right? Like they loved him, but they had to give him away because he was just too bad. And I think a lot of times when we think about ourselves and God, we kind of feel like Hobie. Uh, You know, like, yeah, sure, God loves me, but like, he's probably fed up with me by now. And he's, he loves me, but like, I, if, if I do a couple more things wrong, he's just going to be done with me and it's going to be over. And we're coming to a section in the Bible uh, that talks about the character of God and gives us this picture of who God is, and God is really different than that. Uh, He treats us really different than that, and this parable is just perfect for that. And it sets the scene at the beginning because it talks about how there's tax collectors and sinners there, and the religious people are mad. They're like, why is Jesus eating, laughing, enjoying these bad people? And it's in response to that that Jesus tells this parable. And uh, we skipped the part where he tells about a, a parable of a lost coin and a lost sheep. And he's telling these parables about how much God loves the lost, like these people. And uh, it's this, it's this uh, great just like, section of the Bible where 
it shows us that God is so much different when, than what we thought and so much better. And so when you feel distant from God, when you feel frustrated with God, what it's telling us is that maybe we are not thinking of the right God. Uh, maybe we're not dealing with the true God. So uh, I want to look at this passage. Um, there's a really good book by Timothy Keller called The Prodigal God that you could read on it if you're interested more. But, and a lot of these ideas are from his book. But what I want to look at in this passage is, first of all, what it really means to be lost, uh, the love of God for the lost, and finally, uh, the future of the found. So first of all, what it really means to be lost. And when we think about getting lost, Usually we think of accident, right? Like, oops, I got lost. Uh, all of a sudden we realize we're lost, like when we're driving around and all of a sudden we don't know where we are. Uh, this is a totally different picture of lostness that Jesus explains through this parable, particularly in this first, or uh, this middle paragraph here, uh, what the younger son does. Uh, so the setup of this parable is that there's two sons and a father, and the youngest son uh, asks for his share of the inheritance. And in that day, if there were two sons, the oldest son would get two thirds and the youngest son would get one third. And uh, the problem was that this would happen when the father died. And so what this son is essentially saying to his father is, hey, I wish you were dead. Give me my share of the inheritance. And that's what sin is. Uh, it's this radical rejection of God that starts with saying, I wish you were not there. I wish you were gone. I wish you were dead. And surprisingly, the father agrees to divide his property. Uh, in the, this is written in Greek, and it says, literally, he uh, agrees to divide his bios, his life. Like, his life is in the property. Uh, it's his whole life. It's all, all he owns, all he has, he divides. Uh, scholars who have studied Middle Eastern culture have pointed out that like, if this happened, even today, a father would be expected to severely beat his son for even saying such a thing. And uh, so the, the beginning of the younger son's lostness is when he rejects his father and wishes he were dead. He says, I don't want you. I'll take your stuff, but I don't want you. And that's the beginning of our lostness too. Um, we get lost because we want to be as far away from God as possible. We wish God would go away. We get lost uh, because we wish he just didn't exist. And uh, God feels distant then because we actually want there to be distance uh, between us and him. You know, sometimes I'll sit down with students like you and we'll talk about things. And something I talk about with students a lot is like, hey, God feels distant. Anybody ever felt that way? A lot, right? And uh, I mean, I think it's very common that we feel that. And something I try to unpack is that if God feels distance, it, distant, it's usually, it always is, because we are distancing ourselves from him. So I ask questions about that, okay? Um, you know, if God created us, then we belong to him. And what that means is he can say whatever he wants about how we are to live. And for many of us, we don't want that. Uh, and when we don't do that, and when we don't want that, then being away from God can sound pretty good uh, because God feels limiting. It feels like he's holding us back. But life apart from God, as we see in the parable, is never what we hope it will be. Uh, I compare it to a fish jumping out of a fishbowl, right? Picture the fish. It's a goldfish. It's swimming in the bowl. It's like, man, this bowl is so limiting 
I wish I could be free. And so he musters up all his strength because he's a goldfish and he doesn't have much. And he <laughs> surges to the surface and jumps out of the bowl, right? And he's free. Except uh, he suffocates to death because he was made to live in water. Okay? Uh, we're the same way when we try to have life in God's world without him. Uh, in the parable, the father agrees and he divides the property. Uh, so imagine, what, imagine how gut-wrenching this would be. This would mean selling fields and taking a third of the money and handing it to his son uh, and to go away. And he, so he sends his son away and it doesn't take long for the son's life to totally fall apart. Uh, he's feeding pigs. He's all alone. This is like rock bottom. And so that's the loss, right? Lostness starts with wanting God out of the picture, which many of us often want. And then essentially, though, getting what you want. And where it ends is sadness and loneliness. Uh, if you're sad, if you're lonely, I want to ask you tonight, could part of the reason be because you have distanced yourself uh, from the one who made you? Could it be because at your core, you're actually wandering from him uh, because you're daydreaming of a world where no one can tell you what to do, especially not God. Uh, so that's what it means to be lost. But now I want to look at the good news, the love of God for the lost in this passage. Uh, you know, the son at verse 17, he's at rock bottom. And then he has this moment of clarity where he's like, you know, my dad has servants that have a way better life than me or at this moment. Maybe I can like, you know, he formulates this plan where it's like, I, maybe I can work it off. You know, I'll at least have a better life than I have now. And I'll, I'll have the speech that I prepared that I can say to my dad, I can say like, you know, I've been so bad, but like maybe you can make me one of your servants. And uh, this is how we tend to think we can get back in God's good graces, right? Uh, you know, maybe we think what God must want is for us, you know, I've been wandering for a while. So what he probably wants is for me to work it off. He wants me to show I'm committed before he restores me to his love. You know, maybe I'll start by praying more and I'll go to church and then maybe uh, God will accept me again. Maybe he'll make my life better again. Maybe he'll take me back. Uh, but yet in verses 20 through 24, this amazing section, we see how God's love actually works, how salvation actually works. And what we see is that there's this father and it says uh, that he sees his son from a distance and feels compassion. Uh, what does that mean? It means that the father has been looking for, hoping that his son might appear in the distance. The son who is so awful to him. Uh, he's been eagerly waiting for the possibility that this son who took all, a third of his money would come back. And the father runs. Middle Eastern men in that time did not run. Ever. It would require pulling up like all these robes you had on and exposing your bare legs, which would never happen. But the father, this father, runs. He's willing to look like a complete fool. And when he reaches his son, he embraces him and he kisses him. And the son is like trying to spit out this rehearsed speech, but the father won't even hear it. The words just roll off the father and he says, get the robe, the best clothes. Get the ring. The ring is what you wore. It was a signet ring. So it was like, you are part of this family. You can even do business with this ring. You represent us still. Get the shoes. Servants don't wear shoes. Sons do wear shoes. Uh, bring the fattened calf. The best food. The prized celebration food. 
all for the son who squandered everything. Okay, to be saved, to be godly, to be near God doesn't mean turning away from everything bad and turning, uh, you know, cutting out all your bad habits and replacing them with good ones. It means first and foremost, turning away from all that bad stuff to him. Okay. Uh, God wants your life to be the way it's supposed to be. He wants us to avoid sins. Yeah, he wants us to live the right way, but he wants you first. He's willing to look like a fool if he could have you. He'll take you back even if it, you know, even though you've made a mess of your life. Think about how bad this son must smell after his journey. And the father has no hesitation about wrapping him up in his arms. Imagine how big of a fool this man must look like to his community to take back the son who squandered one third of the wealth. And Jesus in this parable is saying, God is like this father. He doesn't care if it doesn't make sense. He just wants you back. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is Goodwill Hunting. Anybody seen Goodwill Hunting? Not really. Uh, great. Well, you guys are in for a treat because you can watch Goodwill Hunting and it's an awesome movie. Um, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, set in Boston, great movie. And uh, Matt Damon plays this character named Will in the movie and who's in therapy. And uh, his therapist is played by Robin Williams, the late, great Robin Williams. And there's this part where they're talking, they're just like chatting back and forth about getting married and being married. And uh, Will asks Robin Williams' character, his therapist, like, when did you know, they're talking about his wife, and he says, when did you know she was the one for you? And Robin Williams says, October 21st, 1975. He's like, you know the date? And he says, yeah, because it was game six of the World Series. Uh, you know, Boston, it's the Red Sox. It's the biggest game in Red Sox history. They're talking about it. And he's like, yeah, I slept on the sidewalk all night to get tickets, got tickets. And the day of the game, I'm sitting in a bar uh, waiting for this game to start and in walks this girl. And then they start talking about the game. It was an amazing game. It went to the 12th inning. Carlton Fisk, Boston Red Sox legend, steps up to the plate hits a home run. It's going straight out, but it's heading toward the foul pole and the whole stadium and everybody watching on TV is like, go, go, go. And it hits the foul pole, which means home run. Everyone goes nuts. And Matt Damon and Robin Williams are like, I can't believe, you know, that was amazing. I can't believe you were at that game. Did you rush the field? And Robin Williams says, no, I was in a bar having a drink with my future wife. <laughs> I wasn't there. And he's like, you missed that game for a girl? And Robin Williams just said, you should have seen her. That's how the father in this story feels about his son, and that's how God feels about us. He's willing to miss everything to have us. Listen to how Charles Spurgeon, a British pastor from long ago put it he said when i thought god was hard i found it easy to sin but when i found god so kind so good so overflowing with compassion i beat my breast to think i could ever have rebelled against one who would who loved me so and sought my good see how the love of god can change you unless you know that you'll never truly come back to god uh, you might be able to live like a servant for a while, like the son was originally planning to do, but you won't enjoy God. Uh, 
and you won't be back as a child. But if you know that God is willing to look like a fool for you, what else could you possibly want? So I want to just close by looking at the future of the found, okay? What would happen, you know, what happens to the one who is found? Uh, if you have Jesus, that means that you're, you can't be more loved than you already are. Uh, there's nothing you can do to become more of a child of God. It's done already. Nothing uh, you do or say can make you less of a child of God. You represent him now, just like the younger son does with his father in the parable. It means that on your worst day, the day you messed up the worst, God smiles at you and says, ah, that's my beloved child. They're still learning. He knows all about what happened when we were gone. Like, he knows all about what happened when the sun went away, and he knows all about what happened when we go astray, too. Um, imagine being the younger son. What would your life look like after that? After you were welcomed back, after you had been found uh, by the one who loves you. What I want to suggest to you tonight as we close is that what happens is you start to look like a fool, too. We start acting like fools. <laughs> uh, if you were lost and found, if you're now in the arms of the one who made you freely accepted and loved by him, although at one time you wished he was dead and yet he still accepted you back, then go be a fool for God. Go be a fool like God. Uh, invest your time, invest your money, invest your energy, your relationships into, the, into people that most people think are a waste of time. Uh, poor people, uncool people, annoying people. There's a commercial that was on TV several years ago uh, for Guinness beer. Uh, you might remember it. It was a, a game of wheelchair basketball. And the whole commercial is just these guy, group of guys are all playing weird wheelchair basketball in a gym. It's fun. They're working hard, playing hard, and the game ends. And all but one of them get out of their wheelchair and they say, same time next week. And what you realize is that none of them needed a wheel. They had one friend who was in a wheelchair. And so they all got, learned how to play wheelchair basketball for their friend. Uh, God is like that. Uh, I have a friend who is a pastor in Boston now. Uh, but what he used to be before he became a Christian was a tenured clinical psychologist uh, he reached the pinnacle of his profession. You have to work, I don't know if anybody going for like a PhD or something like that. Uh, it's so much work, you know, college, grad school, PhD. And then, you know, you work your tail off for that. And then you get uh, to be a professor at a college and then you work your tail off to get tenure. It's like, once you get tenure, you can basically not ever get fired again. You're at the top. Um, and my friend got that. And he became a Christian somewhere along the way. And shortly after he got tenure, he told all his colleagues, you know what, I'm going to leave. I think I want to be a pastor instead. <laughs> they were like, what are you doing? <laughs> are you insane? Like, do you know how hard you work to get to this point? And you're literally throwing it away. Uh, he's going to be a fool like God. Uh, wherever God has you, go be a fool like him. Uh, you can do it when you know the most foolish thing that God ever did, uh, when he devoted all of history to winning us back. 
people had abandoned him, when he made all of history about him pursuing us until he could have us back, when he was literally torn apart and suffocated so that he could have us. Uh, You'll be able to be a fool for God if you know that God delights to look like a fool for you. And what makes, you know, we talk about sins a lot, and underneath sins that we do is sin, this disposition that we have against God. And what makes sin so offensive is that it rejects this amazing love of God for the lost. Uh, And this parable invites us to come home again. Uh, Listen to what one pastor said about sin. He said, you know what sin is? Sin is not drinking too much. Sin is not spending too much on yourself. Sin is not your angry tirades. Sin is not the abortion you had. Sin is not your great, uh, sin is not the abortion you had. Sin is your great refusal to go home to the only one who loves you like your soul craves to be loved. That's what sin is. It's a refusal to go home. Do you know the truth about yourself? You're a mess. Somebody wants you though. He happens to be God himself who made you. Come home to that God uh, tonight and every night. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that this is what you're like, uh, the Father in this story. I pray that we would know you as that. Pray that we'd be changed by your love. I pray that this community here would be a community that delights to look like fools uh, (laughs) because that's what you're like uh, so that we can win the lost, uh, so that we can bring them uh, into your arms as well. I pray that this would be a community that extends this kind of love, uh, that's transformed by this kind of love. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.